1: Hi friends, and welcome to another episode of Rev Covery. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah, and the other host is Justin Gentry. We're so grateful to have you here. And you might be wondering, like, what is Rev Covery about? Well, if you haven't listened before, Rev Covery is really a show that was started originally to be for folks who were leaving ministry, um, but it's turned into a show about a, quite a lot more. So, whether you've left ministry, or whether you've changed how you do ministry, or whether it is that you were a volunteer, maybe you changed doing work from um, some sort of meaningful work, this is really just a show about transitions and our hope is always that you'll find some sort of solace some sort of comfort maybe you'll hear yourself in these stories in a way that will give you comfort as you wait here in the recovery room as we like to call our community it is indeed an honor to be part of it so today i get to introduce to you brandon flannery Brandon describes himself quite well, and so I think I'll use his description. He says he's an ex-faster, an ex-missionary, an ex-evangelical, and someone with a sassy memoir about coming out of evangelicalism. It's called Stumbling, and he is an absolute delight. So check out his book Stumbling. Check out all of his work. It can be found at brandonflannery.com. But just uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. We dive into all kinds of things, like what does it mean to be in maybe a space that is harmful but find really good things in it, and what does it mean to uh, do missionary work in a way that is responsible, and how do we do better once we know better. And so I'm so grateful for this conversation. Like I said, I hope you will really enjoy it. Friends, welcome to another episode of Rev Covery, a podcast about leaving ministry, changing how you do ministry. I don't know, a podcast about any sort of life transition. I am honored to be one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and this is my co host, Justin. Yeah. You did real good that time, bud. I did. That was real quick. I did. I- yeah. I like it. All right. We are very excited to introduce our guest, Brandon. Brandon is an author, but he's also a former pastor. Um, I actually kind of want him to tell you the title of his book because it's really cute and really fun. So Brandon, with no further ado, can you introduce to our audience, can you tell us a little bit about like, how long did you serve? And I know we know it sounds like a prison sentence, but how long did you serve? What were it you in kind for? Of
2: was sometimes. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> yes, Correct.
2: First and foremost, Sarah and Justin, thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. Yes, Sarah said, uh, my name is Brandon Flannery. I'm an author, ex-evangelical, ex-pastor, ex-missionary with a book that just came out a couple weeks ago called Stumbling, a sassy memoir about coming out of evangelicalism. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. See, that's um, why I great.
1: didn't say it because you say it's so much <laughs> better.
2: Yeah. It's, yeah, I've only done this like a, a few hundred times it feels like. Now. I don't think it's been that much it feels that much though, so here we are. But well, yeah, I, uh, serving my time in ministry, I mean, I grew up in a mega church. My mom was never like the children's quote-unquote pastor, but she was the director and leader in every other term except for pastor. Right. Um, she gave great messages, <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah. So she was in it, and my dad was uh, always on the worship team, did the drums, so I like lived at church, so like some of my first jobs were in the church, working in children's ministry at a a very young age, youth ministry, but then went to Bible school at Teen Mania's Honor Academy in Tyler, Texas. If you want to call it a Bible school, it's like the easy way to expedite that. And then came back to be a youth pastor in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I was a pastor there for three years at the Springs Church. And then I was like, I'm 22 years old, I'm a pastor, this is stupid. So then I left and was a missionary with YWAM for a bit and then I came back and then started to that's actually where my book starts as I leave YWAM kind of like <laughs> after evangelizing on the streets every Tuesday being like what do I actually believe after mm-hmm. being in this for a quarter of my life and I was hitchhiking with a friend and that's kind of where I all started crumbling down but yeah that's like my, my service as unto the Lord was mm-hmm. a, a, a wow. little under a quarter of my life we're like talking about like me being a child like running in and out of the car grabbing puppets for my mom <laughs>
1: wow yeah puppet ministry what where else in the world are puppets happening england you'll see like a puppet situation in england they'll have the little like kids on a beach they'll have a little puppet situation but i feel like we're not getting a lot of ever since i think they've done their time
3: (laughs) i think the last like religious based non-religious based puppet show that i saw was i was definitely a child so this would have been over 30 years ago Mm. Yeah. Was the last time I saw puppets not in a Christian context? Well, there's Avenue Two, like... which is like
1: Dirty Puppets, which I think would be yeah.
3: hilarious to see.
1: But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no puppets are an odd thing that I feel like. I feel like the church is like, and we're not using them in public schools anymore. But we we're going to do the hell out of a puppet show.
2: We that and felt boards. I don't know if felt boards are actually still a thing, but they definitely were when I was a oh. product of the 90s. Oh, yeah, I feel like the one other the last spot I saw a puppet was a stand-up comedian, okay. like a. I think it was Jeff Dunham. Yeah, that makes was sense. The last time I saw it. That's fair. Yeah, that yeah. makes
1: sense. So growing up in that environment, did you feel, like, it's interesting to us because we, obviously, it's a very skewed version that we're getting because it's a lot of people who are on the other side. But YWAM seems to really be a place where folks figure out pretty quickly whether this is for them or not.
2: You know what? That is so true and very valid. So I did this research uh, really just because I also have ADHD, Sarah, and can fixate on things. And so a year ago, I fixated on getting data on why people are leaving Christianity because I had a lot of people in my world that for the first time in their, in my life were starting to leave and, like, had given so much of it or at least leaving evangelicalism or at least questioning things. And I had, like, my own theories as to why, and so I just really wanted to understand that. And a really high one... Uh, I, have the information right from it. i want to say fourth or fifth reason was where people first start to doubt is exposure to difference that's and i great. think ywam while there's plenty of things that's a whole nother probably podcast on itself but like it is taking these kids truly kids like 18 mm-hmm. to 22 years old mm-hmm. and putting them in a different context that's very different than them And one of the blessings and curses of YOM is that it's very disenfranchised. It's not like this big hierarchical structure with one person at the top. How it works is like you take a couple leadership courses through their schools and then you can launch your own base. And so you have these bases that are being ran independently, pretty intimately connected typically with the cultures that you're working in. So it's not just like I'm doing a 10 day missions trip in high school. You I really just want to travel situation like mm-hmm. it's you're living and working with people who are coming from a different context. And I think that exposure to difference really does a number on people because it's the first time that they're coming into contact with the culture that evangelical Christianity is not the center of their universe. Um, well,
1: I also think for those who don't know, by the way, uh, YWAM is youth with a mission. Um, yeah. <laughs> I realize we were just saying this That mission
2: is saving souls. It is
1: the the interesting thing, especially for people we've had on before is this feeling of like, I was exposed to difference, but I wasn't prepared to see my work as not supremacy, to see my worldview as not supremacy. And to like, for the first time, go, wait a minute, we have two different worldviews, but perhaps yours is as valid as mine. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, it can be very, (laughs) we laugh, but honestly, if someone's been in a bubble for a really long time, at some point that bubble gets burst and it is, I can only imagine. So you're leaving at what age? At that point, you would have been.
2: So I finished YWAM uh, 20, 24 years old. Okay. So I was a mission, did Bible school, then was a youth pastor for three years, and then served with YWAM for a year. And then when I left, I was twenty four, and so still pretty young. But like, I was actually one of the older ones. Most of these people who are doing the program or a program, they're called DTS Discipleship Training School. They're they're young. Like it's eighteen. Is the typical age, and so I had some "quote unquote" life under my belt. But yeah, like it is something that, like, I think in the midst of it, you feel like you're a part of something exciting and important, and especially at that age where you've got the zeal and excitement for life. But yes, I think that, like, as more and more people have gotten distance from yom it is problematic in the sense of I there's two, re- a couple of things. Yeah, and one a is couple absolutely couple
1: of problematic things. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it is like it is the the white savior complex for sure. I think one thing that is I, I like to give credit where credits due. Why I am is so disenfranchised that like you it's very mixed. Like when I worked with people in India, we we're working with people from India. Like when I was working in Germany, we we're working with people from Germany. I would say that the majority of people are young white middle upper middle class like kids are just like i don't know what to do with my life and i want to do something important and so instead of mm-hmm. going to college you go off and do that so but that's one thing i think the other thing is the fact that like i, uh, I think a lot of YMBs out there running as a business so it's like especially their schools typically it's their their number one way of getting income so you have right because you get to fundraise
0: right
2: yeah like you're paying Oof. to work you're paying to like so my school like i'm raising funds to like work So I think mine after transitioning to Euros is like 10,000 or 15,000, which actually like in the scheme of things for a year of like living in Berlin, Germany is not terrible, but Mm -hmm. still like I'm working to be there. And and so like these schools typically bring in income for the staff that are full time there. So you'll have these like staffers that have been they're kind of anxiously also raising support and hoping that they can keep going. And they were staying there more long term, but kind of getting some conversations with people who are running the finances at my base in particular, it was like some revenue comes in from the school. And so that's a way that they can then churn out and stay longer rather than relying completely on support is what you would call it, like asking people for donations.
1: And it's interesting because when you're in it, it seems so lovely. And I, and I can yeah. see, yeah. Like and the
2: community is amazing because yeah. you like are. I mean, some of my best friends are still from there, and like that's where again, like to give credit where credit's due. I've been a part of some really toxic structures, but like, and like there's some problematic leadership there. But like, I, you feel like you're doing something important, which I think really unifies people. It's like that whole like military thing, right? Like you've got these people, that you're like quote unquote in the trenches with them, literally, but like you're after a mission together, and it does something to you, like where you feel really close, yeah, and it feels like you're doing something important. It, that transition, leaving that is pretty tricky. It's like, what do you mean I just work a job and pay bills?
1: We don't know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. There's not tax documents open.
1: I know. I, I shared with the with the fellas before we started recording that I've spent two days working on taxes because I have so many income sources. That made it sound like I have a lot of money coming in. I don't. I have piddly amounts of money coming in from all over. And then, like, my coaching is great, but, it like, it is a difficult tax. Thing, or it probably isn't I should probably just get a bookkeeper let's just be honest I absolutely should but yeah I it is hard to figure out all of these finances and all these pieces and I don't th- I don't think I was necessarily uh, trained in that in, in so many ways you know I have a degree in biology and psychology and a good degree in divinity school like I I was. A, you also have all the degrees. Too many. <laughs> yeah, all
3: the degrees, but mathematician. Not you, a mathematician. <laughs> you know. should not. I should not math.
1: I'm great at business development. Uh, as well, long as I can just yeah.
3: guess on the math part, like. It seems like, <laughs> and it doesn't more... help that a lot of us were told, like, you know, God will sort out the money, oh, you know, yeah. like, or just like pray and it'll come in. I mean, that was my like. I mean, I I I would never have said this, but like. By default, God was my retirement plan. Oh, yeah. like, I did not know ministry. that. You know what I mean? Like, I I wouldn't have said that. I would have even thought, like, someone that says that's dumb. Like, I would have thought, you know. But, but it it's was like, no, there like, in the back of Justin's head. Functionally, I was just like, well, I will just keep doing ministry and, like, yeah. God will sort it out. God will, God will yeah, bless exactly. me. exactly. God will take care of and it. And we can process and, this
1: later, but it did show up. Like, for me, mm-hmm. the times that I, like, because I didn't grow up with the uh, Prosperity Gospel at all. But then like there were times when I like I, I went on a, a really big trip uh, to Africa and I went to Uganda because that's what all the cool girls were doing. Um, and, oh, man. Everyone went to Uganda. Everyone went to she Uganda. It was Invisible Children. I like, know. I think. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. And at the time, like super sincere. And actually, the, the organization I went with is incredible and still working in Uganda. And they're actually run by Ugandans. One of the times I went. Another time I went more problematic. But needless to say, I asked, I was like, I can't go. I felt like I really should go. And I, you know, I I really felt like this was going to be important, but I thought I can't afford it. And then my friend said, you're right. God can't afford for you to go there if you're meant to go there. And then I asked and I raised enough money in like three days. And to me, that was such an indication that I will be taken care of. and it's it's such a privileged way of looking at it but at the same time i'm learning how to like reintegrate this idea that maybe the universe is for me and not against me yeah Yeah. and it's so hard because you don't want to be it hasn't always worked out great (laughs) Uh, you know and and at the same time i i understand the privilege that i even have to joke about it right like but yes i think when you have had that experience justin if like yeah, but like in the end, it all washes out. It all works out.
2: My phrase—it was—I wasn't quite like full prosperity gospel, but we definitely orbited around that, like pretty. My flavor was so. The phrase that was always thrown around was, "If it's the Lord's will, it's the Lord's
1: bill."
3: Like it was the Lord's always.
2: Will, anytime you're fundraising, yes. yes.
3: I've not heard that. Have you
1: heard that, Justin?
3: I have not. If but it's the that's... Lord's
1: will, it's the Lord's bill. I'm saying that yeah. now, like in. In my world, which is like not my friends will yeah. be like, I'm sorry,
3: what? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like are we going
2: You can say that's the IRS yeah. when you're yeah. like working yeah. on
1: your-
3: <laughs> I I raised money as a church planner and I remember asking, we were in like this early meeting and I remember asking like, Hey, what happens like if I don't raise this money? Like what you know, like what is this? You know, I am mean, I'm trying to be somewhat pragmatic. I'm proud of you, Enneagram like, 7. You're like, this is an unfun question, but I'm going to ask. But I'm going to just ask this, like, what happens if I don't make up this money? And like, with a straight face, this guy I was raising money with was like, well, then I guess that means you weren't called. Oh, like, just very like, <laughs> matter of fact, like without like, like, and it was said with a wink, like, of course you're called, there but a- it was also like. So that's those are the two options. I'm called and the money just comes in, or I'm not called and the money doesn't. Like I, okay, I, you know, yeah, I guess it's it's the Lord's bill now. (laughs) (laughs) I just wish I don't always wish
1: that we had a video of this or that we shared the video of this stuff. But Brandon's face when you said that (laughs) was amazing. I was like, I think my computer's glitching. Oh no, Brandon's frozen.
3: (laughs)
2: I'm like, frozen. just frozen. just
3: frozen. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's one thing that
2: has always been true is that my face. Just
3: Not
1: a poker player. Says what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great question and a great little uh, vignette into. Friend. So you were 24 when you were in part of this. We happened to have a lot of friends who were YWAM who, who were queer, uh, but they were not allowed to be out. What was that experience? Did, were you at the time aware of how you were feeling? I mean, obviously, like, give us a little background on what it was like to be part of YWAM as, as you say, a sassy human. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, so my flavor of Christianity, like, I think there's different. There's no one way of... Christianity really relating to queerness, yeah. like there actually are some amazing spaces. I didn't know about them growing up. Uh, my flavor of Christianity was very evangelical, very like, like Baptisty, with some like ag sprinkled on top and some prosperity gospel, charismatic. Right yeah,
1: little flavor, flavor uh-huh. sprinkles.
2: So, like the idea of praying for something and seeing God perform a miracle was not out of the ordinary. Right. Um, and like, that's something I process in my book. Cause I have experienced some crazy things that make it so that I can't like claim being like a atheist. Like I think that there's something beyond us that I have encountered that has, that I've bumped into that I've stumbled <laughs> into. And, but at that time I totally, so I told I growing up, I kept it very quiet, very hush hush because I mean, the megachurch that I went to uh, was Ted Haggard's, who, like, a little fun drama moment, got caught with having an affair with a man. So I was 16 when I was seeing my pastor, who was, like, preaching against homosexuality, like, now having an affair with
3: a man. And he wasn't, like, a little bit against homosexuality either. Looking back, like, a lot of projection there, or internal self loathing or however you want to describe it, but there's just... There was a lot going on there because he was like very against it and secretly was very for it. OK, so
1: I'm about to reveal something that I probably shouldn't. And they're very nuanced and aggressively specific community will know what I'm talking about. But there is a certain person who is a huge, huge anti-gay person within the UMC. And when I met this person, because I was preaching at their at their mega church, I literally was like, this is so cool that this church has a gay one of the clergy is gay. Like I just assume by how they presented. And I, I had a very cool experience. And UMC is like mixed on it's that. It's mixed on like, that. Mm-hmm. His yeah. church is not, not only that he is literally the leader of the opposition. So for me, it was the most like, oh, oh, uh, oh. And it's so interesting because people will say to me, yeah, so-and-so-and-so said this, because literally the leader. And I'm always like, have you met him? Because I think Mm -hmm. there's some like, I mean, it's terrible to say, but I think toxic masculinity can make people hate parts of themselves. Even if he is not queer, he's queer presenting in our stupid ideals of that in Texas. Like, how do you, you know, and he's not, you know, again, I'm not throwing shade at him. To me, that's not a big deal. It, It was just a very interesting experience of like, Oh, like later when I went home, they were like, "You know who that is, right?" And I was like, "What?" Because I literally thought, "Oh, this is wow. so cool. They have yeah, a yeah, queer." Yeah. And so it's 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 difficult to put those things together. So you're hearing this man preach against it, and then finding out. And what was the reaction? Yeah, so to the, the message I,
2: I received as a as a kid was like, "This is what happened." Because I. I felt like I was supposed to do ministry. Like I remember at 16, there was this youth retreat and like, I'm crying at the altar. Like so many other people being like, I'm supposed to be in ministry. (laughs) I don't want to, you
1: know, like suffering for Jesus. Which is what every medical student does. Every engineer does. No guys, why do we have the one job where everyone's like, when I got, I just wept. I just didn't want to do it. There is literally (laughs) no one out there that's like, when I realized I was going to have to be a dot com bro. I just, I just wept. I cried so hard. <laughs> yeah, I was, what?
2: That should have been the first
1: sign. Everybody says <laughs> that. Everybody has that. Like I had to, I, I submitted to it.
0: What? It's weird.
2: Yeah. Like it was like, uh, well, my flavor of Christianity was also like, do the hard thing. Yes. Like, it's like, it's as if there was a book that was written about that, you know, like, where it's like hey, if it's the thing that you don't want to do, that's probably the Lord's will. And he'll pay the bill. He'll pay the bill for your hell. (laughs) But, like, when it happened for me, it was like, oh, this is what happens when people... I wouldn't have used the language closeted. I would have used the language people with same-sex attraction. That would have been my choice of words, because it, like, kept it not me. Um, This is what happens with people who go into ministry that quote-unquote struggle with this so i kept under wraps but when i went to my bible school in texas i was actually pretty honest with it i like there was this like switch with me after i left my hometown where it's like i want to be authentic mm-hmm. and so like at my bible school i'd share like my attractions and for it being what it was like they handled it okay and then wham, when i was there so i quickly expediting this to there it was a performing arts school and so there's a lot more closeted homosexuals in my school as well, and so like, you know, YWAM has this like curriculum where you go through these themes every week, and one of the big themes they always push is repentance, and then you publicly basically just share all your dirty laundry in front of everyone, and so what in the actual? So many people. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, and like like some stuff that should not have been shared, like work that out with a therapist. Like it's not. Like, no, no, not everyone should know this. They're sharing. So I knew that, like, quite a bit of, especially the guys, but also girls, like, we, we're queer. There's a good chunk of us. Like, we're mm-hmm. dancers, we're musicians, we're actors, we're writers, and we're wanting to change the world. And we have empathy. Like, it's just a, it's a blend of, it's it, it's asking for closeted queer people within the church to come there. And so um, I, there's, like, quite a few things that's like, I actually feel... Okay, about what I did in ministry. Like when I was a youth pastor, I'm still the guy that most of my kids will reach out to, like on social, being like, "Hey, I came out, and like, thank you for your story." Or it's like, "Hey, like, I got this girl pregnant. Like, what do I do?" Like, and I love that. I love that to this day, those kids can still reach out to me. And they feel safe. And why, wham? There, there's one. There are two times where I'm like, I wish that I did differently. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was when I was street preaching. And I said in Alexander Platz on a microphone that God can save you from homosexuality because my story had looked like that. And I've shared this a few times where it's like, I don't know about all spaces, but especially in the space that I'm in, my sexuality felt very asexual during certain times of my life because the structures I, were, I was in were fostering ways for me to get that same-sex intimacy in sideways ways it's so like my bible school all these men who cannot date women are like cuddling with each other they're like like growing it up with each other sharing all their secrets with each other they're running around their dorms naked like yeah. there's this yeah. energy yeah. that's like happening because they're not allowed to date yeah. and so it comes out uh-huh. And I always joke that like straight men who are not allowed to date girls are some of the gayest people
3: I know. Exactly. I was just getting ready to say <laughs> that. <Yep>. Like <laughs> yeah, like you wanna one of the gayest places in the world is like the freshman dorm at a Christian college. Yeah. Like, and it's like a yeah. weird And I always thing. joke
2: I'm like if we're not born gay, like these institutions like are factories making us gay. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. It is a so like in that space. dream sexuality, I think is and it's it's interesting because it's, it's lovely almost, right? Like yeah, to be able to feel that and yet it's a strange dichotomy because you're not supposed to be that. And also what's wrong with guys like just hanging out like that? It's the weirdest dichotomy that we created.
2: It's this interesting push-pull for me because it's like I can't look gay but my like intimacy tank is getting filled and so but i can't really like it and so it was this interesting push pull in ywm where i did feel quite asexual at that time because i was getting this connection like there's multiple times i was like cuddling in bed with with men in ywm and it was just like no one batted an eye and that was the same at my bible school and all that stuff and so like in that space i could like i'm now preaching from like twice again these are those moments where i'm like i wish i could undo but the structure that i was in it was like wow look at god's moving He answered my prayers from when I was a kid. And so I'm like saying it from like on a microphone in this public space. So yeah, I was like, but I was also very honest about like people knew that I was, I would have used the language same sex attracted. I would use that language. I, I dated a girl right immediately after why I'm like, and she knew, she knew that I was attracted to men. Um it helped that she was bisexual. <laughs> so she got it. She's just like, of course you're attracted to men. Everyone's beautiful. Like everyone. Mm-hmm. And so like, we had a very honest and open relationship. And like, I thought she was the answer to my prayer where it was like, ah, yeah, finally God's coming through. Like, you know, but it was like, I had intimacy with men that was mm-hmm. like coming out in sideways ways. And I was being honest, but like Anna, she knows that she's actually one of the first people who read my book. Um, She's, phenomenal to this day like such a good human um, and we're like one of my biggest fans specifically with writing and uh, like we tried on and off for three years and it just it wouldn't work I thought I hated kissing until I kissed a man and I'm like oh nope I, I actually really like kissing it was just with the wrong type of person <laughs> So that's a, what it looked like inside of inside of where I'm, it was a push pull. It was a one moment advocating for like God can save you from this, and then another moment like this literally happened. I, I show this in my book, so it's whatever. But like in there's like a central park in Berlin called Tiergarten, and I this happens to me all the time. It's probably just like being queer. You, you subconsciously notice these things. In all the parts of the park, I wander with my Bible and my journal trying to have this cute little quiet time moment, and I stumble upon a gay public sex space. And so, like, there are these men having sex in the woods, and I'm just like, and, like, I'm terrified, but also, wow. like, wanting, like, see, feel, like my heart's fluttering. I'm like, I just need to leave. I need to leave. I need to leave. So, like, literally wanting and not wanting it. Like, <sighs> wanting to give up and not give up. and Yeah. The whole time. So.
1: I mean, it's just a, it's a, yeah, it's such an interesting moment and really you were quite self-aware to, because some people would have like felt that feeling and have always been told that feeling was wrong. And so it would be an absolute repel. And then the repel is to yell and say even more so, this is terrible and not what we want. Right.
2: Yeah. For me, it was, I was very consciously aware of like, oh, I want this. I, I remember the verse that came to mind was like, flee temptation. And so like, I literally ran. For one, like a mile, not a mile, an hour, like did not stop until I came back to my Mm. uh, YWAM base and immediately confessed because that's what you do. And then it was like armed against me like the next day where there's like, so this is why you don't like travel throughout the city alone, Brandon, blah, blah, blah. And then like sharing what I just shared in confidence Mm. to my leaders. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like you're using my story against me to like try to control 18 year olds who are just like. Yeah, being 18 year olds, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're young, we're dumb, we're trying to figure it out, but we're, we have the best intentions. And yet, you know, still hurting people and moving across the world to try to make a
1: difference. Mm -hmm. Well, I think your story is so powerful. And I think it's so relatable to a lot of folks. I think a lot of folks have been in that situation where, you know, you're in a culture in a situation where this has been told this is the right way. This has been told this is the wrong way. But you know, there's more of a nuance. And the truth is, we mostly live in the nuance uh it's never as black and white like all the leaders who are like they probably now would tell you that they weren't sure when they were telling you this was not okay and that's the thing that's really problematic in these situations is oftentimes the people who are yelling the hardest are the ones who are trying to convince themselves yeah so yeah. so then let's i should we take a break now i i remember to break is everyone proud of me
3: I'm very proud of you.
1: We're going to take a break for our um, for uh, commercials. There might be a commercial or not. Uh, we always take a break just right in the middle. And then I'd love to hear how you got from there to where you are now and what you're up to.
0: First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth. And this podcast is just that here at the Speaking in Church podcast. We talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.
1: Thank you for coming back up. Uh- Brandon, you were just sharing with us how you kind of got, you were in YWAM. What happened to exit out? What was next?
2: So for me, uh, again, my flair Christianity like believed in the miraculous. I would orbit around those spaces, and I think that the, the the first moment where things started to shift was I was in I was in India, I was working in Mother Teresa home for the sick and dying, and this woman named Angeline slipped on a sidewalk got hit by a bus and lost her leg i didn't see this bitch but she's now in this home without a leg and she's puddling around on like this board with wheels and i think something especially with my flavor christianity is it's pretty uncomfortable with like pain loss uh negativity like i think it's comes from the prosperity gospel like, we have a hard time coping with those things and so i had a hard time and i would say that Looking like in the moment, I would say I was convicted to do something, but now reflecting back on it, I would say that like I was just uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable with her pain, I wanted her pain to go away. It was hard for me to see because I didn't know how to cope with that. So I prayed for her and was expecting something to happen. Um, and I said, Angeline, like you know, in this Bible verse, like Jesus says, Stand up, and like then the lame people were healed. So can I help you stand up? And like, let that God's going to heal you, and she starts weeping in my arms and starts asking, why won't God heal me? And she's this, like, beautiful, like, faithful Catholic woman. It's not like she doesn't have, like, this faith in the Christian God, and she's just like, I just don't, why won't God heal me? I'm just like, I don't know. And I'm 20, 20, 24 years, uh, at that point, 23 years old. And I'm like holding a sobbing older woman in my hands. And that was like the beginning because it then was like this buildup of all these other things. Like I witnessed so many leadership, so much leadership, like so much leadership corruption. Um, Like my leader in Wyoming had an affair with one of his like essentially like secretary who is this young like student leader and ran off with her. I saw uh, my Bible school is part of team mania. They were like, hiding debt with different things but by purchasing other nonprofits and like moving debt around. I saw this with Ted Haggard. Like I'd seen so many big failings of leadership. And that was another one. And then my brother, I came home from being overseas and he had gotten into a car accident and like literally almost the exact same thing with his leg. And like the elders are coming and we're anointing him with oil and we're praying over him. And you know, when, in my flavor of Christianity, like, when someone doesn't get healed, it's the person's fault. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: The person who didn't get healed. Oh, I hate to hear that. Because they didn't have, quote-unquote, have enough faith, because it can't be God's fault. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing my brother just, like, be broke, like, still, like, to this day, recovering, so to speak, both physically and, I would say, mentally and emotionally, because of the Not only physical consequences of him having a seizure, but also these emotional mm. spiritual mental consequences of these elders being like, well, you can get healed because of lack of faith uh. or because there's a secret sin or whatever it mm-hmm. may be. So in, in addition to suffering, now it's your fault. And so all these things kind of like came to a head. And I was like, up until that point, my sexuality had been under wraps because it was for someone that I loved. It was for this God and for Jesus, who I I I did love and wanted to please that entity, and I was told that I couldn't please him if I were gay. And so all these I view it like as a crack, like in my book, I describe it as like a backdraft because it wasn't that big of a thing. This, uh, but like this deep desire that was in my body, having repressed for so long, that it got this little bit of oxygen as a result of my doubt, that it just came bursting forth. And I'm my sexuality, I would say, is is what brought the my deconstruction, so to speak, and leaving evangelicalism to a head. Because once I kind of fully emerged into it, like fully embraced my sexuality, the question came of like, what is actually wrong with this? Mm. You know, like so much, so many times, like in my world sin you know instead of it just being like this like treat and you can't touch it you know it's more of like you don't do these things because god's a good father and like he doesn't want his kid to touch the hot stove he's looking out for you and so like that was my relationship to my own body was like my body wants something bad but then like once i ended up in a relationship i'm just like i really don't understand why this is bad you know like murder i get lying i get stealing i get like all these other things where i am causing harm or again that the golden rule of like treat people how you would like to be treated um i'm just like i i don't see how this fits there really kind of started to force me to more like i think emotionally i was moving away but then intellectually start analyzing this because i couldn't afford not to wrestle with these questions and so that's when i started Mm -hmm. like analyzing the verses around being gay and like realizing that there's all these different relationships to it and like people think this and some people think that some people and i'm like if we're all disagreeing on this what else are we disagreeing on and then it like Mm -hmm. touched like women in leadership and then it touched genocide and then it touched all these other things in the bible that i had learned i'd done enough intellectual hoops to be okay with but because of kind of pulling at the thread and kind of really looking at something like without having an agenda, like I don't need it to land mm. a certain way. I can actually look at this open-handedly. I can look at this more objectively because I, I don't know. I I actually don't know the answers and I, I want to know and like coming in with that mindset. I'm like, Oh my God, there's this book that's like saying that we had 20,000 errors cataloged since the 1600s in the, in the like, earliest manuscripts like and we had like so it just uh, kept coming and coming and coming and then it, by by the end of it i was left with but it, it, i think where i was left with is like there is still an emotional connection of like because part of my story is i did experience some beautiful things yeah and so i refused to let go of the idea of the divine truly a little bit more emotionally and i think for a lack of evidence that there isn't a god or divine or whatever, but like my, I have more questions than answers nowadays. And I think that with evangelicals in particular, the strength comes from, we have the right answers and that's what creates safety. That's what creates certainty. That's what creates purpose. And now I'm in a space where it's like, man, I actually don't know the answers and I feel like, you know, this, uh, like I I've been attending some Quaker meetings recently because like, it's actually been really beautiful here in Atlanta where it's like, the premise of it and all of it has been good for my soul where I can feel like I have some type of spirituality without it being formulaic. It's very, it's very not formulaic. It's literally, we're sitting in a room quiet. And if someone feels like a gumption, they can stand up, share and sit back down. And that's, that's the whole meeting for an hour. So it could be very meditative or it can be more sharing. And I'm sitting at this table with a bunch of queer people during our like potluck. And like someone's a Hindu and their experience of the divine is just as valid as this person that is like, agnostic isn't sure and then this person who's like has third generation quaker and then this person who was baptist and like everyone's kind of hand on this invisible thing has something to offer to us that we can learn from and Mm -hmm. i think that's more beautiful I, i i think that it's more inclusive i think it looks more like the god that i wanted to worship when i was younger and now i'm i would say like Encountering and also not encountering in the sense of like I think that the divine is in all of us and so yeah, I'm bumping into the divine in so many more spaces than just like the Bible. In fact the Bible can actually be pretty hard, I haven't picked it up in a while because I I've seen in the words of Jesus, judge something by its fruit, and I'm not seeing a ton of fruit from that and evangelical mm-hmm. Christianity. And so I'd rather go where I'm seeing fruit and hope to bump into something that is beyond mm-hmm. me. It's kind of where I'm at sure. these
1: days. It's so fascinating because so many people, it is the idea of what is wrong with certain things like queerness that seem like, how is that wrong now? Why?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was asking a a guy uh, that was trying to like convince me that I was wrong about being affirming. And I kind of walked through, like, okay, can two men like live together? He's like, yeah, probably. Like, can two men like combine their incomes and do their taxes together yeah that's probably not sinful could two men like raise a kid together like well yeah probably it's like so really the only thing that you can't figure out is the bedroom like and that really doesn't seem that hard to figure out you know what i mean like it's just like when it like because yeah it was just this like you're really you're getting hung up on something that i feel like is not it's It's not in the book, it's not like and you're pretty much fine with almost every aspect of their relationship like why can't we just like and that's move, where I'm actually we passed a little bit
2: yeah i for me like i I actually used to resent my sexuality for that reason, it's like it was the one thing, it was this one particular mm. thing that like I couldn't shake, and just to be frank, like I benefited from evangelical Christianity, I mm. bite I'm cis. I'm, I'm I'm a guy and like uh when it comes to my personality like it's this good blend of like i'm like uh i want to make people happy and like but i also have a little bit of charisma like like megachurches liked me you know like there wasn't you're really super a... cute
1: i'll say it. you're also just super <laughs> cute we can say it thank you,
2: thank you. that sex appeal though
1: <laughs> he's bringing it to the table
3: he's stumbling
2: oh my gosh especially like i think about like hillsong with that whole documentary and everything but like my world was very much like kind of like hillsong and the amount of like worship pastors that are just like sexy and playing their guitar with the deep v and like whatever but like i i did if i think if it wasn't for my sexuality there's so many pros to me staying there that I don't know if, in good conscience, I could say that like I I would have done the hard work. I think that my queerness was a beautiful blessing that said I can't shake this, and now I have to reconcile. And as a result of that reconciliation, I think I've become a lot more open and empathetic than I would have because I experienced a level of pain that I could not shake from the church, and so therefore was able to open up my eyes, like. Why can't women be in leadership? That's ridiculous. Like, what is this complementarian thing? Like, why was slavery endorsed? And, like, there's been rifts in mm-hmm. denominations as a result. Of, how is that even like, how did that even have ground? Where, like, the crusade, like, all these things where it's like people have experienced oppression or ex- still experiencing oppression as a result of these belief systems. Because I experienced the sharp edge of that sword, it was easy for me to then say, oh, this is cutting other people, too. Why didn't I see that before? And I think the reason was, is I was. I was benefiting from it, unfortunately. And I, so for that reason, I am I'm very grateful for my queerness because it created the reckoning that I am now in.
0: That's
1: really mm-hmm. lovely. It's really beautiful. And it was so hard. I think it's, there's a moment, so many people that listen to the show and um, we ourselves have talked about where you think, oh, man, we're the baddies. Like (laughs) we, Mm -hmm. we thought we were the goodies. Turns out we're the baddies and you have to reckon with yourself about it. And you can be absolutely paralyzed and say, well, that's it. I'm terrible. Or you can say, okay, well now that I know I can be better, what does it look like to be better today?
2: Yeah. And that's where it's like, I think about there was a, I mean, there's some other stuff with her now that we'll see what comes through with it. But I, I remember there was something like say it was two years ago, Lizzo, so that's where it's complicated now because there's all the other stuff that's Mm -hmm. going on. But a year and a half, two years ago, she got confronted with that she used the word spaz in one of her songs.
1: Yeah, I remember.
2: And it was like this, I remember that a lot of people were just like, you know, cancel her, like, how could she do this? But she didn't know and so then she publicly apologizes, goes and re-records her songs and, like, does better. Again, now there's stuff that there's that whole thing that we
3: we've to, been transported back wait. in time to a year and a half ago when it was completely unproblematic to like Lizzo. So you're fine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, this example, but in this so moment ten. she chose cause we're, we're complicated onion people.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: And, but I just, I'm like, I, it was like a, a really, for me, a really important moment where I was like, I bump into things still, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I hope that now, because of the fact that I realized I did really bad and I was the baddie for a while, that I can be wrong and it opened up this world of, like, I am able to be wrong even with the best intentions, that it makes that process a lot more quick. I think before then, it was like, it was so, I was so scared to be wrong and so scared to be on the bad side that I couldn't afford to, like, that's too terrifying to look at. And now it's like, I'm going to bump into things I'm going to cause harm out of ignorance and like the important thing is like do as best we can and when we know make the change do the work but i will say that like yeah i'm i'm fortunate in the sense of i can point to two personal moments and those are those moments on the streets where i'm like man i really wish i i hope i didn't cause harm i hope people were tuned out when i was preaching saying god can save from homosexuality i hope i didn't cause harm with that everything in my being hopes i didn't cause harm with that and then hoping that like I can move forward and be a part of like changing that and like as a result of it hurting me like how can we undo this not and that's why I think it's important that like we do speak up and we do talk about it and we do ask the big questions because I think that was a big thing for me also with BLM coming to a head it was like the whole idea of silence is violence I remember being confronted with that phrase and wrestling with it where I'm like, do I believe that? I'm like, yeah, like, I'm seeing it happen as a result of the fact that I was too timid or scared to say, hey, that's not okay. And check someone that said something, even if they had quote unquote good intentions, mm-hmm. it doesn't change impact. And it's something that like, I want to, I want to do better with. And I, I agree, like, what does it look like moving forward? I think it's like, we are ever learning. There's this human being that has deeply impacted me and it shifted my expectations. About humans. He's now in his 70s. He was a pastor for Christian Missionary Alliance for over 30 years. And I think at year 20, his kid came out as gay. And so he was in his, I want to say, 50s at the time. And when his son came out, instead of him saying, I have the answer, instead of it being that my denomination believes this, instead of it being, well, I was trained this way, he said, maybe I'm wrong. And I really need to look at this. And for a fifty-year-old pastor to say, I could be wrong really has shifted my bar with people because I think I used to give people a pass where it's just like, well, it's their generation, or well, it's this or that's that. But I think all of us can say it can at least take the step of maybe I'm wrong. And I think that's always important to hold in front of us.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the ability to say, Oops, I messed up, and for people to say Ouch, that hurt. And then for us to figure out how we move forward together.
2: Yeah. Right?
1: Because I think just yelling doesn't do anything. And just saying I'm a bad person, so now I need to disappear. Because that's like my thing is like, oh, now I don't need to say anything. But like you say, silence is violence. So what do we do from there? It's an invitation, right? And so I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I'm excited about your book coming out. Um, Is there? Thanks. What What else are you doing in the in this big, beautiful world, Mr. Brandon? <laughs>
2: um, the book has been. What's just so weird is just like for me, like I I love writing, so it's like I'm very happy to be on podcast. It's been a good time. I was like you need to do that and you need to speak. I'm like, well, if I liked speaking, I would want to be a speaker. I just <laughs> like writing.
1: <laughs> it's like Rachel Held Evans told me that she wrote to speak and then I speak to write, and she's all right. She speaks to write, and I right to speak. Yeah. I am not, I don't like writing as much as I like speaking and it was vice versa for her. Oh,
2: same. I just, every, when I was a youth pastor, I hated every Tuesday because I was like, I have to come up with something for tomorrow, but I love writing. So my biggest thing right now is, yeah, you can go to com slash book and you can order my book. It's actually out now and uh, the audiobook should be coming out here pretty soon. So I guess I do talk in that one, but like for me, it's just interesting. I'm, I I will keep writing because that's just me. So you can follow me at at Flanbrand on most handles. I think Instagram, TikTok. That's it. Where I just like writing. I like will be processing something. I write around existentialism, spirituality, and sexuality. Those are kind of like my things that I like mulling over. And it's mainly for my ADHD fixation. (laughs) I bump into something and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to process this. So whether that be in a larger publication like my book um, or not, like I've been writing since I – I've been very young, but also like specifically out loud as I started thinking this, I'm like, I think I might be wrong to steal that man's words when I started to really wrestle with my sexuality. And so just urge you to write out loud uh, on my website because I just didn't really see anyone in process. And so for me, that was important. I wanted I was like, I don't know where I'm going to land, mm-hmm. but I'll process out loud and maybe I might come at a solution or something, but I don't believe that anymore. I think we're all in process. And so, yeah, I write there. I do like short forms there, or you can, if you want a long form, you can get my book. Or if you want to see me be sassy on Instagram, I mean, on TikTok, you can do that too. So those are, those are the things that I'm doing. Other than that, I've got a day job where I'm marketing to CPAs. You don't want to know about that. (laughs) You can't
1: find, you can't find him doing that. (laughs) (laughs) not sharing
2: those handles (laughs) well we're so glad to have you
1: here and we're so glad that you uh yeah thank you so much for sharing a little bit about what's going on with you and for your great book and folks go out and get it and any last thoughts that you have justin
3: no this has been a lovely conversation i really appreciate your time and yeah i hope everyone goes out and buys your book me too
1: Thank you so much, guys. Have a fantastic evening. And remember, sometimes you'll stumble into something wonderful. You just never know.
3: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on Rev Covery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the Rev Covery Room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the Rev Covery Room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out at www.patreon.com revcovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Revcovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem.
1: Friends, thanks once again for sticking around for uh, this episode of Recovery and for sticking around for the ending. I know some folks say that this is a really meaningful part of the show, so thank you for doing that. I know that um, poems and lyrics and all this sort of stuff means a lot to me. And also thank you for putting up with my really gross voice. Hopefully soon, whatever this sickness is, will go away. Um, no more colds, for sure. Okay, so I was thinking about the conversation with Brandon, and I thought about how my mom always used to say to me, there's a difference between a tourist and a traveler, and our goal is always to be a traveler, and a traveler is someone who's willing to go into somewhere new and to be changed. And I think sometimes missionary work has the opposite view. It's sort of like poverty tourism sometimes, or the idea that we can bring the best of our world to your world, and that is not the point of travel. And so as I was thinking about the difference between traveler and tourist, I really thought about how open Brandon was to being changed by his experience. And then, of course, you guys know I thought about a poem by John O'Donohue. So I'm not going to give you the whole poem. It's quite long, but it's really good. I would recommend it. It's called For the Traveler. But this is the section that really had me thinking during this conversation. May you travel in an awakened way, gathered wisely into your inner ground that you may not waste the invitations which wait along the way to transform you. Friends, I hope wherever it is that you're going, you will be transformed. Along those lines, uh, you can join Justin and I in real life at Theology Beer Camp. If you go to God Pod, you use that password. Sorry, that's not the go-to thing. That's the password. But if you go to Theology Beer Camp and you use... GodPod, You can get it. still get some sort of discount, and we're really grateful and hopeful that some folks will show up because this is a great chance for us to get to meet each other, but it's also a great chance for you to hear from some incredible theologians, thinkers, and speakers. Okay, so that's what we've got for you today. I don't have very much voice left, so until next week, have a great week.